0: What's up, Duke fans? Welcome to the Devil's Den podcast. Josh Smith here with my co hosts, Shu and Raul. We also have Steve Clark and John Watson from thedevil'sden.com. I'm going to jump in and talk a little bit about the UNC game. We put it off as long as we could. No one wants to do it, but figured we'd jump in and talk about that and then really kind of focus on the ACC tournament. Um, So, I guess as we start, before we just dive right into the UNC game, I kind of wanted to talk about the the build up to the game and the pregame. For me specifically, it didn't really resonate until I saw Kay kind of sitting there, and you're seeing him kind of take that deep, emotional kind of like trying to steady himself. Breath. I don't think I've ever seen Kay like that. Um, the only time that came close is that he shed a tear a little bit on Senior Night for John and uh, Lance and Zoob, the eighty two fifty. Since then, I haven't really seen it, and so that really kind of set set it all off for me of like, oh, this is real. Um, this is it. So I guess want to just toss it around to you all briefly during that moment, when did it sit in for you, uh, that this is it, this is Kay's final game
1: in Cameron, um, Ro, I guess I'll, I'll toss it to you to start. Well, actually the moment for me was earlier than that. Um, it's when we were putting out our last podcast and I was trying to decide what to title it. And then I had to pick, uh, between UNC preview and coach K's last game in Cameron and somehow writing those words made it really sink in.
2: I think for me, um, like I, I, I assumed they were going to do something to honor him before the game. I didn't know that they were going to do that player tunnel. But actually, I was, I was on Twitter uh, before the game. And I think it was Andre Dawkins posted a picture of he was in a room with a lot of the former players. And they were putting on the white t-shirts that they were wearing. And I just remember like in the moment, I just thought, oh, that's like a really cool thing. Like they're going to be kind of coordinated in a way to honor Kay. And and I think for me, like that's when it started like sinking home. Like when I saw that picture and I knew like those guys are going to be leaving whatever that room was that they were in camera. In, you know, and I knew they're going to be going out to honor him in a, in a unique way, you know, knowing that they were coordinating the t-shirts.
3: Yeah. I mean, not to get too like morbid, but this is like something you you think like, you know, one day my grandfather is going to die and I'm going to prepare myself for this. Right. So you knew this day was coming and we've known it for a year, but it didn't really, really sink in. Um, at Josh, you were at the house with me. Uh, They're doing the national anthem. You know, Josh is we've got a group of guys getting rowdy and Josh is telling everybody, she's like, shut up, guys. This is the last time we'll ever see this. This is like something that we're going to pay attention to and try to remember forever. So it didn't hit me until until really that moment. But. That, that's when it was.
0: What about for you, John? I'm curious. We asked Steve on the last pod um, for him what the experience was like, kind of covering K, covering Duke, covering the program. You've been doing this for over 20 years. What was going on for you kind of watching that, you know, this is the last time he's coming out? Yeah, it's kind of weird. Um, it, it hit
4: me with the pregame stuff and watching him do the national anthem, but quite honestly, given the way the night went, it hasn't hit me yet because I refuse to believe he's going to go out like that. I mean, I know that's kind of a segue into what we're going to talk about, but I mean, seriously, it was just at at the end, all the emotion was gone. I mean, it was, you know, Michael introducing uh, Kay and talking to him and then having, you know, him come Kay come out and essentially apologize to the crowd and try to make it about his team. I mean, it just seemed awkward to me. I, I don't know if that's because of the result, because of what had just happened, but it still hasn't hit me yet. You know, the program has evolved over the last 20 plus years that I've been doing this, but, uh, it just hasn't hit me that, you know, coach K is not going to be there yet. It just, it hasn't hit me yet. Um, I know that's kind of a cop out, but I I think the lasting memory is going to be what happens in the next couple of
0: weeks, uh,
4: for better or worse.
0: Yeah, I agree with that. Um, I don't think it'll really hit me until, and I was telling you this Saturday night, um, uh, until CTC next year, and John's coming out, right? And it's just John. Um, that's when it'll probably start to sink in that, like, oh yeah, this is this is it. You know, this is the this is where we're going with it. Um, well, and you mentioned it, but oh, go ahead, Ro.
1: I was just going to say, do you guys think they should have done some of that ceremony before the game? It's almost like they didn't consider the possibility of a loss. Like, I mean, maybe that's just how these things are always done, but it was really it was kind of bittersweet because it was sort of, it reminded me that there's a bigger picture there, right? Um, You know, I was upset about the loss, but seeing the larger picture of what Kay's career has meant to so many people was helpful in a way for me. But at the same time, it was weirdly tinged with this sense of, you know, just having kind of been almost embarrassed at the end of that game.
4: Yeah. And I think the more appropriate time to do this would be at the team banquet following the season. I mean, that's traditionally that's been the the time of the year, every year that I've kind of put a bow on the season for better or worse. I mean, you know, and, and really, I mean, to liken the, uh, the earlier analogy about the grandfather dying, you know, not to be morbid, but you could have had a, you know, a celebration of his career in Cameron after the season and I'm pretty sure it would have sold out, you know, there's just, there's a lot, it, it was just a weird dynamic that night, a very weird dynamic. And, you know, I know the the kids had a tough time balancing all the emotions and all the expectations and, you know, it it showed, but I think Krzyzewski had the same problem. You know, they can talk about, Oh, well he was locked in from the, no, he wasn't. I mean, if he is, he's not a human. I mean, I don't, I don't mean that disrespectfully, but it's, you've literally got the last four plus decades of your life. You've been doing the same thing for more, for longer than some people live. And all of a sudden it's over in one night and you're going to be a hundred percent locked in on the
3: biggest game of the season. You know, come on, that's just, that's not possible. Can I ask you guys this one thing too? Like, cause we've never seen this before, right? Like I've never saw a hall of fame coach or something have this kind of, are you guys glad that we at least knew that this was the last run? Like, the way this happened, would you rather it went down the way it went down or if the end of last year, you know, we end the season and then Kay calls it quits in April and we never knew about it. You know, that we wouldn't we didn't have that last chance to say goodbye, essentially. Right. Are you guys happy with with at least knowing that this was his last year? That's an interesting question.
0: Um, I, I'm happy knowing it for continuity of the program. Cause I, we would be in scramble mode if he just retired at like May and just said, you know, and then do we drop recruits? And then like, how long of a, like effect does that have? So in that sense, I am, um, I don't know. I could see either way. I liked it this way because like you said, at the house, I'm the guy over there. Like, Hey, shut up. It's the national, like it, this is the last time I get to do this. Um, so for me, I kind of liked knowing that ahead of time, but I think it's an interesting question. I'm curious what, what you all think.
4: I agree with what you just said. It's There's two competing is, interests here. The program's uh, continuity and honoring the, the greatest coach in, in the game. And it's I, – I think if you asked him, he would want to do it the way he did it 10 times out of 10 because at the end of the day, he doesn't want to see his legacy tarnished like what you know, when Dean Smith stopped and all of a sudden it's Matt do- – uh, not Matt Doreau, uh, Bill Guthridge. You know – Guthridge had a team that was loaded uh, that next year. I mean, just loaded. Um, I mean, they made the final four, but after that, it fell off a cliff. Duke's not going to have a loaded team next year unless they do it this way because the entire starting five's leaving. And like you said, what if they drop recruits? I mean, at that point, next year, they're bad. And, you know, I, it, it's just there's no perfect way to do it. and. You know, of, of the ways to do it. I mean, Gene Cady and Matt Painter at Purdue is the only only, I guess, analogy I can remember that they did it like this. But um I think this is the best way of a to make a bad situation as good as you can.
2: And I think and I think for me, like the observation following up on John's thoughts for good, like like Kay wanted this. You know, like Kay wanted to have a, you know, especially an experience like this because they chose to invite all the all the former players. And I think I'm sure we've all read that Wright Thompson uh, ESPN, you know, deep dive that he did. And it was obvious from, you know, the, the thoughts that coach K shared with him and, and how many people Wright was able to talk to, to get perspective on K's emotions with everything. Like it was obvious that K wanted to be able to talk about how he felt, how, you know, and, and his legacy and, and all that. So I think even though it was awkward in the moment, because Duke, you know, took the loss uh, you know, to UNC, I think he wanted to have an experience like that for his last home game. He wanted to be able to see all those former players, you know, who were who were able to be there. So, yeah, I mean, it's difficult in the moment for sure, but I think just from seeing the totality of everything, of what how things played out, how they honored him, like, I think that's, you know, a big part of that is because he wanted that.
0: Ro, would you want to jump in?
1: No, I was going to ask, uh, were there any, Players, you were surprised weren't there or were there? Um, just from you guys' perspective, like John and Steve. I was not surprised Josh McRoberts didn't show up. <laughs> um,
4: <laughs> no, McBobs. Or yeah. or Greg Greg Newton probably wasn't there either, was he? Mm. um no. You know it's it's hard to say. I mean, everyone has moved on. Um, you know, forty some years. It's it's kind of hard to pick guys. Um, but the amount of players who came back and, and big time players who came back was was interesting to see. Yeah. Um, not reported, from what I understood, there was a couple managers, um, support staff also who were invited who came back. And to me, that's that's very telling that he would have the kind of relationship to have those kind of people come back and not just his players. Um, it's kind of a testament to him. But yeah, I I, I was kind of surprised Lou Alding didn't show up. You know, just given the history there, but a, a lot of guys, you know, maybe just couldn't make it, but it, it was interesting to see who did show up. And um, it, it was a very,
1: very nice uh, look at the legacy for lack of a better term. It was interesting to me that none of the, and this includes Dang, none of the one and done guys were there, right?
4: Like, mm-hmm. I can't think
1: of a single one. And I assume they were well, over in the NBA. Yeah, I know, but still uh, the early ones had, like Dang and, and Magetti. Right. Yeah, a lot of them had the he, night off or you know, I mean Grayson Allen had to play the next day and he still came, right? Or was he there or I yeah, don't know yeah, Grayson, Grayson was Grayson there.
4: Because the night before he got payback for the out uh the um yeah uh, the, yeah
0: the
1: Caruso thing. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. yeah,
1: so I mean well I guess it's not really payback because it didn't take him out for a couple months. So
4: Yeah, there's that. Sure. Grayson yeah. just
1: got engaged
4: too. So yeah. Mm. Um but, yeah, I mean, it, it, the one-and-done guys, it's, it's interesting. I mean, like, y- you go back and see which ones could have really been available. I guess Jabari Parker could have been available. I don't know if he's still playing. I know he's, he's always injured. Um, you know, I guess Okafor could have come back because I, I don't know if he's over in Europe or not now. But, I, you know, you start thinking about the one-and-done guys. I mean, you know, who would be available? Because one-and-done pretty much started with what Jabari and,
3: like, really, really started. Austin, Kyrie, Kyrie, Austin, and then we didn't have one in thirteen, and then fifteen. The told Tyus Winslow, the
2: three, yeah. When it yeah, really
0: just took off.
2: Actually, I I, I remember I uh, I I made a list of the guys that I knew were playing on Saturday in with their NBA teams before we recorded the last podcast. And guys that were playing on Saturday included Trey and Tyus Jones, Mason Plumley, Justice Winslow, and Wendell Carter. They all had games on Saturday, so but that was the only ones that I saw it, uh, based on the NBA schedule that we're playing. Yeah, and some guys, like uh, I
1: know RJ had a game on the West Coast the next night, so it's like, okay, maybe if you have a game in LA, you don't come, but it just surprised me a little bit.
0: I think Zion's the, the biggest one, right? That's the one where most people were thinking that like, oh, he's just rehabbing. Where's he at? But, you know, and I like GP was saying it on the CBS pod. I'm not going to get into his controversy, but I think that Zion's had a lot of like negative press anyway. And so if he comes there, it, I don't think yeah. he wants to be there right now. Right? I don't think he wants to answer those questions. He's on media silence.
4: Yeah, pretty much. I mean, and you start thinking about, so which one in Dunn's who didn't have NBA commitments, which you think about. And I mean, most of them who aren't in the league are in the G League right now. Um, like I mean, I saw Harry. I saw Harry Giles uh, tweeting out a couple things. Um, you know, it's it, it's just been tough uh, to see. I mean, you know, I, I liked seeing a lot of the '90s guys, a lot of the early 2000s guys. I mean, it it really, for me, brought back a kind of a nostalgia of man that Duke used to be a, a long term program.
2: <laughs> mm. I thought it was cool. I thought it was cool seeing uh, Kyle Singler was standing there with Leitner for quite a while. Wasn't that cool? cool. Yeah, I thought that was really cool.
0: Yeah, and Kyle doesn't do that a lot. lot. Kyle doesn't really. I haven't seen like Kyle. I know he's done. He's kind of traveled. He was in Spain for a while, um, and he's kind of just more a little more introverted. But I haven't seen him like around as much as. I would think of the final four most outstanding player for your guy, national champion, right? Like, yeah, I think he's like top five or top eight in pretty much every major statistical category at Duke. Probably I would have, I would have been in favor and putting number 12 up there, but that's, that's probably for a different day.
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I mean, you know, it's easy to be introverted when you made like $25 million and now you don't have much <laughs> True. <to> do.
0: <laughs> True. Yeah. Um, well, I guess we'll talk about the game a little bit, but Really, and I want to talk kind of in in sequences here. Um, There was one sequence in the game, and it kind of went back and forth even through the first half and into the second half. But when I was thinking back on it, and I've shared this on the boards and some other places, but there was a sequence where Duke's up 37-28 late in the first half. We missed the front end of a one-and-one baycott gets the 50 50 call now some people were talking about the to me i thought it could go either way it just happened to go his way right he just it happened to be a block wasn't a charge so we go from baycott potentially having three fouls to two free throw offensive rebound carolina three duke misses the front end of a one and one again carolina three we go from being up nine where it's a two-point game at halftime i thought that sequence If it goes a little bit differently, Duke's up 15, Baycott's got three fouls, we're heading into halftime, this game's over. Carolina's not coming back from this. This is not a good Carolina team. They've never done that all year. This is their second quad one win. That was the sequence to me where I thought we could have won the game. Um, And I'm curious for you all if if you agree, if you saw it differently, if there was another sequence, or what you thought about that, particularly as it related to us going into halftime and maybe accounting for us not really coming out of the gates as strongly. as we thought, but I'll shoo you. Jump in on this one first.
3: Well, I mean, you know, that's been our mo forever. Like we throw that punch, you know, the last three or four minutes before the half ends, and to start the second half, and so to to get knocked back, you know, as Coach K, Coach K would say, like to get knocked back in that sequence there, missing the front end of one and ones. That's I mean, those are killers. Those are free throws. You know, they're easy basket. And who was it? Uh, was it Kills and Paulo? That missed the kills for sure missed one. I'm I'm not
0: hundred percent who missed the other one though.
3: Yeah. Um, I'm gonna be honest, I haven't rewatched the game. I rewatch every game, but I can't bring myself to rewatch that one. So some of the details fuzzy about, but yeah, I mean, just not being able to to really fight in that that last three minutes and like you said, to only go up uh into the half up two was that was that was a tough look.
1: Yeah, I'm not gonna be too mad about that call. It's like we can't depend on the refs to take Baycott out of the game so we can win. If we need that, there's a bigger issue, right?
0: Well, I don't think – I would. yeah, I want to be clear, too. I'm not saying that it was a caller, but I'm just saying it's one of those 50-50 things. If it goes this way, it's a two-point – it ended up being a two-point game. it goes the other way, that's a huge shift, right? Go ahead, Steve. Jump in.
2: I think for me, like the second half, like what Carolina did with the with the ball screen, I think both how they how they attacked Duke with their ball screens in the second half, they did a really, really good job. Uh, you have to give them credit on that. And I think the way they uh put us, you know, put Duke in position to have to defend their pick and rolls, like that was that was the tail of the second half for me. I just thought there wasn't a lot of adjustments that appeared to be made. Uh, with that, and I think the communication was, you know, it was really difficult. I mean, I just, the way, the way Carolina took a hold of that game was through, was through pick and roll. I think, th- especially like when they were, um, when Duke had the ball and ex- th- th- this happened a lot with keels where they, I think they figured out that they wanted to blitz him when he was coming off, coming off the screen, uh, with the ball. And it seemed like Duke had a tough time kind of adjusting to that. A little bit, whether and I and I get that they were like hunting they were trying to hunt Paulo and get a mismatch, you know, for him. And I think the like what we saw, I think is like the flip side of when you have a, you know, cheat code like you have with Paulo and you want to try to hunt that matchup through screen and roll, that's generally a good thing. But the flip side is if your team, if the other team knows that they can attack you and blitz the way Carolina did. Uh, with Duke's ball screens, like if you don't take care of the ball, you can have problems. And they I mean, we just we saw that in in spades the whole second half.
1: Yeah, that RJ Davis uh pick and roll at the top of the key was just unstoppable for them. Um, from about 10 minutes left on, they just ran it every time. And I don't have the stats in front of me, but I imagine if they ran it 20 times, they scored on 17 of
2: them. I mean yeah. it was just
1: absurd. And you
2: and you gotta give credit to um to manic like the way, the way he relocated without the ball as the screening action was happening. Like he, that's where that I think one of the biggest issues with communication was with Duke's defense. Like they were not doing a good job at calling out the screen and calling out as Manic was on the move. You know to relocate for the for the for the kickout. You know from the from the screening action. So yeah, I mean it was it was just perfect storm. I mean you got to give credit to Carolina. Like they. You know, they really beat Duke in the in the second half with how good they were on ball screen on both ends of the court.
0: It was a clinic, right? The last 55 points in the second half. Um, even Jay Will was on like first take or whatever, whatever not first take, the, the show he's on. And he called it out, right? They run the same play over and over, high ball screen to death. And no to adjustment either, man. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's no coaching adjustment, but it's also it's also the player adjustment, like dude, I go play pickup. I know if you're ball screening me up top every single play, eventually it's like, we got to do something. Turn around, talk to Mark. Somebody's got to do something. It was just nothing. No, the assistants couldn't do it. I don't know what it was. Maybe it was just the emotion of the night, but it just, that was the worst part of just one play. Couldn't stop it.
3: I think the stark difference, like from game one to game two, you know, game one, we got in them like we pressured them. They turned the ball over. We rattled them on their home floor. And Josh, you and I were talking about it because we saw Shire on the sideline telling Roach like he's just kind of you know he's in front of his man, but his his hands are down. He's not pressuring. I'm like, I don't care if you're standing in front of him. Get your hands active. Like make it hard for him to dribble. Make it hard for him to pass the ball. And we weren't really doing any of that. I don't know how many. Well, they only turned the ball over what five times, and I think they did it three that was times all in the first and- half three times in the first like two minutes too. Mm-hmm. And then it was, yeah, two turnovers the rest of the game because we just, I don't know if it was the pressure, you know, the emotional pressure or what, but I mean, like I said, we saw John, Hey, get, you know, motion and get, get in him And, and for whatever reason, we just, we didn't do that.
0: And on the flip side, every catch that we humble or like a, a, we get bumped, right? Like just not strong with the ball.
1: Well, that's what Steve was saying with that, uh that, Blitz, I think, was giving us a lot of trouble. Like as soon as uh we'd catch the ball or turn the corner on the screen there, it was two guys right on the player. Um, yeah, you know, and that was uh, I saw a, an adjustment in their defense actually in the second half too, with how they were defending Paolo. Um, even when he'd get isolated on Manic. In the first half, he was able to just go to that spin move and get to the rim at will. And yeah. the second half, he'd go into that spin and he'd see a wall, and that was really giving him problems.
2: It's kind of like in some ways. It, it, this goes back a little bit, but it reminded me of what the the Boston Celtics did when they had KG and Paul Pierce, and they were going up against LeBron. They they built a wall similar to that because they knew like Braun would come off the ball screen and he would want to you know attack the paint, and they built a wall and they made him see you know see bodies and that in that particular championship, like that's how they were able to beat them, you know, because they knew his instincts were to try to attack mismatches. And that's, and like I said, that's the flip side. Like when you have a guy like Paolo who is so gifted and he can do anything you want in pick and roll, when you see in the first half how good things were going for him in attacking mismatches off of ball screens, you think, okay, let's go back to it. And that's where I think the chess mats happened. You know, to Raul's point, like Carolina said, okay, it's obvious Paolo wants to, you know, create mismatches off a of screen and roll. So how about we blitz it? Let's attack it a little bit differently. And they did that.
0: And we've just seen us defend the ball screen, like the ball screen defense has always kind of been like a chink in our armor for the last like 20 years, ever since ball handlers have become more dynamic, but we've seen like a lot better adjustments this year on how we've defended it. And I'm curious as we talk about that, like, and I'll send this to you first, John, did UNC beat Duke? Did Hubert beat Duke or did the moment beat Duke? Like, what what do you see here? Was this just the moment that beat Duke and we just couldn't, capture that energy or did you just see you know was it hubert running circles around us it's probably a little bit of everything but you know this is who
4: this team has been this year um they're not good at home yeah it's uh, allegedly the best uh atmosphere in college basketball and they were markedly worse at home this year and you know Shiszewski talked about it in the post game. The team had been, you know, pretty much fat and happy, living, living high on life because they'd won the ACC going into that. That's kind of been a microcosm of everything we've seen this year. You know, I, what I saw in the first half was they fell behind early. You know, Carolina came in, you know, we're not going to get blown out this game. Carolina goes up nine. Duke rallies back. Duke takes a big lead. Uh, then we get to the sequence you're talking about. And, you know, they got up. And it's like, like you said, give them the knockout punch. Let's go into this halftime. Let's go to have a celebration. They don't do it, and there's really no urgency. And then coming out of halftime, they play. In my opinion, it looked like they were just like, you know what? We're going to flip the switch. We're going to flip the switch. There's no panic until about three and a half minutes left, and it's it's over at that point. I mean, and, and that's that's been what we've seen all year. You know, they do enough work to get to a point that they think should be good enough. And then they stop. You know, it happened against Louisville. Now they got some stops, but, you know, that was it. Happened against Wake Forest. They got yep. a, you know, it happened against um, a couple other, you know, Wake, it uh, happened against Miami, happened against Florida State, happened against Virginia. I mean, they do enough to get to that point and then they stop. And, you know, I don't, I, I, I part of me thinks is there's no real floor general on this team. Um, I don't really know who the defining personality on this team is, but, you know, if it's Wendell, he's a laid back guy. And this team just seems to compartmentalize things very well. But at some point you kind of wonder, you know, when's the urgency going to come in? Because, you know, the big criticism on the message boards, which are never a good thing to read after a game. But, you know, the big thing was if you can't get hyped up and want to run through a wall, for Mike Krzyzewski's final game at Cameron Indoor Stadium and you have the privilege of being on the court and you are you lose not because the other team's better than you, you lose because they out-executed you, they out-hustled you, and they outplayed you. That's going to rub a lot of people the wrong way. Um, but that's also this team's M.O. I mean, they don't get too high, they don't get too low. I mean, if you read Benchero's um, post-game comments and even the comments he had today, which are on the site, I mean, you know, it's like, okay, we watched the tape, we know what we did, we need to do better, let's move on. And it's whether that's the appropriate response or not, it's it's their response. And so, mm. all that being said, uh, to answer your question, you know, I think it's Duke, Duke showed their floor on, on Saturday night at the worst time of year. And if they do it again, um, we're looking, at, it's really going to be Coach K's last game. Um, and that's 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 a concern. That being said, you look at how they play away from Cameron, and they're probably the
0: best team in the country. So there there's that optimism. Yeah, and you made a really good point. And this is something that I haven't really thought about yet. Um, how differently that what the lead up into that game would have been if we hadn't have secured the ACC regular season. Like if let's say Notre Dame doesn't lose, and we have to win Saturday to claim that, I think. You know, maybe not, but I know how Kay kind of like and like how he talks. If that was still up for debate, I think that could have been enough to shift the motivation over um, to say, "Let's go pursue and win the ACC."
2: I think he referenced that. John, do you remember if he referenced that in the uh, post game press conference? Like, it seemed like there was a tone of relief that they Mm -hmm. weren't they they, that that they weren't having to compete in that game. You know, to win. You know, outright the regular season and and i agree with the point like it's you know you've seen them like come out with you know in games like kentucky and gonzaga and others where like you just know like their mindset going into the game they've prepared and their mindset is we're coming out to dominate and it was obvious that that was not the mindset going into this game and i, I really thought that it was going to be so that that part was surprising to me cuz i just thought this is k's last game they're going to come out and they're just going to look to destroy you know, just from a mental focus perspective. So, you know, maybe it had to do with the hype and how they were handling it. And maybe they were focusing more on just how do we manage the emotions, you know, of everything, which you got to do that as well. But yeah, I mean, you could just tell like from a mindset perspective, how they, how everybody appeared to approach the game was different from how they've approached other big games.
4: They did talk about being relieved. Um, I'm sorry. They, They said, you know, Benchero even said after the game, he goes, you know, I can't, I can't say that I wasn't on my mind going into this game. I, I think it probably didn't hit them though until, like I said, last four minutes of the game where they're just it's like now it's time to hit the panic switch. And you know, it's only a seven-point game with four points with four minutes left. I mean, that's not over. But it's certainly going to be over when you, you know, come over half court, take one pass and jack up a contested mid-range or a step back three-pointer with nobody under, underneath the rim. I mean, you're playing into the other team's hands. And that's my concern for this team in March, which is I think if they get to the Sweet 16, they're going to the Final Four because I think they will literally walk into those games going, you know, we got to come to play. We got to be ready to go. My concern is <laughs> the second round <laughs> and, and maybe even the Sweet 16 where they they get a, they play an older team, a veteran team, that they'll allow to hang around within 78 points, 78 points. And then somebody gets hot and they don't know what to do. Um, you know, cuz that's that's what I saw play out against Carolina and you know, for all the accolades Shesky wants to heap on I mean, Carolina's not a good team. I mean, they've improved and and they they the pieces are fitting together, but you know, if they make the second weekend, you know,
3: good on them. But I mean, you know, Sorry, it's the same Carolina team that was getting beat by 30 by Pitt last week, right? I mean, they haven't changed that much in a week.
0: Yeah, it was frustrating. Um, I kind of looked at it as kind of we lost to the moment. I thought Hubert did some really good stuff, but they played five guys. They didn't sub the entire second half. Um, We just, we didn't execute. We didn't run. We weren't moving well off ball. I thought AJ particularly wasn't relocating well, wasn't catching strong to shoot. Go back and watch him in the Syracuse game crisp every he's in the right spot he's in the right he's already leading into his motion he he looked uncomfortable a little bit um and i just don't think we ever really recovered from it but you know we got a few games left hopefully um i think now k needs what two games to hit 1200 wins or we need three wins four
1: four 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 well
0: okay well so that would be disappointing not to get that but um
1: when well, win, win two in the ACC tournament and win two, you know, it's doable. So, win oh, them it's
4: all. Uh, yeah, I think I think you'll get there. I do have one question for you guys though. Did it seem to maybe this is just me looking at it from a, a, a different a different perspective? But I kind of felt like Carolina goes, you know what, we'll let Paolo get his, and we're just going to take everybody else away. I mean, they put Leaky Black on Griffin, and it just stopped him. Yep, and. You know, that they knew I don't know if, if Hubert did it because he was he was, you know, on another level that night or if he just it just happened, but you know, there's like we'll, we'll let Paolo take almost thirty shots. No problem. Cause he's not gonna hit but about ten of them. Um, and you know, we're gonna take everybody else away. We're gonna we're gonna keep a guy on keels. We're gonna, you know, we're gonna get get leaky black up in AJ Griffin.
2: I I agree with you, John. I think they did that because I think they knew from the first game that Paulo is such a mismatch nightmare. I think they anticipated Duke was going to go back to that well, but then secondary to that, I just think, and I've heard people use the phrase like Carolina came to fight. I mean, they really did. Like they, you have to give them credit for, you know, they came out and said, I don't care how big the matchup is, how big the moment is. Like you could just tell like they were motivated to fight and I mean right from the get go. And I think if you if you don't have that mindset if you're Duke and you could tell that the opponent has that mindset, like like they could have gone to a different level, like in terms of how they how they approach the game mentally. Uh you know, both going into the game and then once the game happened. And I think it's one of those classic like if you get punched in the mouth and you don't punch back consistently, like games like this can get away from you. And that's what happened.
3: Well, not to toot my own horn because I've literally got nothing right in predictions all year. But I think in the last pot, I did mention that I thought that they would put Leaky on AJ. Simple fact AJ went for 27, 28 in the first game, right? So, like John, you were saying, like, Hollow is going to be a mismatch no matter who we put on him. So let Manic guard him, let him get his points. But as long as we keep AJ from going for 30 again. You know, we might have a fighter's chance. So,
0: well, and what Pello does is we've talked about it. He hurts you by being a passer, right? And if you stay home, he can't really be a passer effectively. And he doesn't, he's not the best finisher, really, sometimes through traffic, right? I mean, he's throwing a lot of stuff up there. And I think they recognize that. And like, I think Hubert did two things. Well, he realized that, like, hey, make Paolo be a finisher. Don't let him be a passer. And just ice keels. He's the only one that's going to come off this ball screen that can really hurt us in terms of passing, getting to the rim, and shooting the ball. Let Dale, let Roach, let those guys try to get in the lane. They're not really threats to us. Um, AJ's not a super big threat as a driver. Stay home. Key in on those two guys. And let's see how this plays out. And,
1: and well, you know, Paolo gets, gets all the buzz, but... You can bait him into mid-range shots. And if I'm the opponent, I would rather Paolo be taking those mid range shots than AJ threes, just yep. from a sheer efficiency standpoint.
0: And we didn't get I don't think we had a single lob, did we? Did Mark have a single lob in that game?
3: No head taps that I remember.
2: They they tried it. They tried a few times, but that was another thing that Carolina did good on D. Their bigs kind of collapsed back to where Mark kind of got pushed out of the finishing zone, so to speak.
4: And then on defense, Baycott was actually sealing Mark off almost under the basket. I mean, it, and he was being physical with him before he made the catch. I mean, it's exactly what the Pittsburgh uh, center did the game before, where Mark just was getting knocked off his spot. And, you know, when he's knocked out, all of a sudden Duke's playing, you know, really three and a half on five on defense because he's always covering for the guy who gets blown by. Yeah, it just, it was just, it, Carolina
0: came to play and they executed. That's all there was. Yeah, it's disappointing. But, you know, here, I, I think now it's, we have a chance to, to avenge it. You know, if, if we cut down the nets in April, no one, I don't care. I, I think I even said that. I was like, Carolina can beat us on senior night. We go win the national championship. I don't care. Um, that's the, that's the prize. I'd like to see the ACC tournament. I'd like to get that one just because Case dominated it and we've dominated it. Um, but we have potentially nine more games, you know, and I think it sucks to lose that one, but there's no better motivator than losing that game. Right. Like if that doesn't motivate you to go out there and get it going to make up for the fe- taste in your mouth, that you don't get a better one than that. Um, and we've seen that late in the year. And I think we've talked about it a little bit of, you know, losing to Maryland in 2010, right. And 15 losing to Notre Dame and this, and the semifinals, they, those late season losses that just, kind of seem to spur us on or kind of get us to recalibrate. So
1: yeah, I don't think we I don't think we were gonna rattle off 15 straight wins or whatever it would have been like right in the season. Yeah. yeah, 16, I think, or something like
3: that. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh Battier mentioned it like he lost his senior night against Maryland. Um and then that that lit the fire under those guys to go and go on the run that they did. You know, so if that's what it takes I'm all for it, you know, I'm here for it.
0: We'll talk about that a little bit. Um, not so much the, the NCAA tournament, but as we look ahead to the ACC tournament, so we're recording this Tuesday night, so BC has already kind of demolished Pitt, kind of worried about Capel and job alert over there. Uh, Clemson also beat State. I think Louisville and them are playing now. Um, so Duke's going to tip Thursday. I think we got the first game, the noon game, and we'll play the winner of Syracuse and Florida State. Two teams we've kind of seen um, twice each. Personally, I'm I'm hoping to see Syracuse again. I'm not sure for you all if you have a preference in the matchup, but I think if I had to choose, uh, I'd take Syracuse. What about you all? Are you looking for for one of the other? Don't care.
2: My my question with Florida State is like, are they going to have their full roster? Because I remember they were down. Right. They were down quite a bit of guys that were you know rotation guys and starters. Uh, and I think at the game at Cameron, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, they were down I mean, a bunch. Does anybody know like, are they going to have everybody like for the uh, for ACC tournament? No,
4: but they've got like two or three of them back. Okay, I mean, Florida State's definitely the tougher game,
0: and I just think our team just fits a zone really well.
1: I think we just play a zone. What role you want to jump in? Yeah, I mean, Syracuse, we'd really, based on what we saw this season against them, we'd have to play our worst game, and they'd have to play their best for them to beat us. We just demolished them in both games. And like you said, it's a combination of factors. Um, They just don't have the physicality to match up with us, for one thing. Um, You know, them trying to score on offense against, you know, our physical lineup was just not, did not go well for them. And then on the other end, our passing, we've been a really great passing team all year. So we've been able to kind of just, dissect the zone that way. And then you have Mark on the back end there as a lob thread, just all those things kind of combined and Palo in the middle as a passer. Um, we talked about it, you know, on the Syracuse reaction, but really just tailored to beat their zone, especially a weak version of their zone that they've got this year.
0: Yeah, I don't see them being able to to stack up or to to really cause much. I, like you said, we'd have to lose, we'd have to just lose, right? I don't know if they can beat us, but we could we could lose it. But I don't think they could beat us. I think the interesting matchup is the the Friday night. I think we get either Miami or Wake. I guess it couldn't it could be somebody else, but Miami and Wake, I think, are the two that would be most predicted. Personally, I'd like to play Miami just to kind of get the revenge in. And we flirted with Wake a little too many times. You know, they, eventually they're going to burn us. They're going to burn us eventually. We've played around with them. Um, Alondes can really kind of get whatever he wants. I really like Forbes as a coach. Um, so I'd like to avoid them if possible and maybe get some revenge on Miami. What, about, what do you think about that one?
4: Yeah, I, I think um, – I mean, Miami – Larinaga was – he ran circles around Krzyzewski in that mm-hmm. game. I mean, but he, he normally does. Um, you know, he never has the horses to compete, but he does. Um, his, his system is just like, you know, Duke versus Syracuse this year, Miami's just going to give Duke fits. Um, but I agree with you. I think of the, of the two, they would probably be the quote easier of the two matchups. Um, and don't worry about Capel; He's got a $15 million buyout.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I can't
3: imagine Pittsburgh basketball can afford that. (laughs) I want to know who his agent is. I mean, incredible (laughs) dude. Yeah. They're not happy.
0: (laughs) <laughs> yeah their pit fans are not happy though they are oof well brutal. they you know
4: they hi- they hired him after the previous guy went oh and 19 in the conference and like it's just it's been rough up there because they used to be a power when it was jamie dixon, jamie
0: was dixon. The coach or something yeah yep. dewan yeah. blair teams like that oh not sam young 808 yeah. yeah they yeah. had some guys yeah, so,
3: yeah. they were tough um, so for me i think uh you know the miami game obviously revenge but i'd I just don't see uh, – do I think we gave up 52 points in the paint against Miami at home that first game. And then let's be real. I mean, we were up three points with eight seconds against Miami yep. before that, like, incredible series of events happened that led to our loss. So, um, With Mark Williams on the bench? Yes, Mark on the bench. So we didn't get the rebound. Roach got the foul. Yeah, I mean, so – for me, I'd rather play Miami um, than Wake because, like you said, Josh, we we embarrassed them at Wake. They gave us a game in Cameron. It's hard to beat a team three times. Um, so I, I, I would rather go with Miami. Miami swept Wake too, didn't they? I think so. sure yeah, they, did. they
0: did. They did. Yep, yeah. yep, they did do that, yeah. So that'll be interesting too then to see if, if Miami can beat them for a third time. Um and I think we played pretty well on Williams, both. G- he got his, but we really made him have to take shots and just really kind of take a lot of shots and get in his bag. If we don't do that and he comes out and has a good game, I don't, I don't want to see that. You know, he could come in and give us 30, 40 if we're not. If, if we're playing defense like we did Saturday, give us 50. But Duke was up 20 on yep. Wake in the second half and then just
4: did their thing. They stopped. Mm-hmm. I mean... You know, so it's 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 kind of a mixed bag there. It's like you know, maybe they'll they'll realize the urgency now because um, you know you lose, you're done. Um, I don't know how how you can make that point big enough for these guys because um, there is no tomorrow. And so you know, hopefully
3: that'll lend itself to more discipline uh, when you get to that point. Also, another dynamic, you know, because we talked about how good we've been on the road as opposed to home. Well, this ACC tournament's in Brooklyn, um, but we obviously, and we have fans everywhere, but we'll have a lot of fans there, I imagine. Will it feel like a home game? Because I don't want it to feel like a home game, And if that's the case. Like, Mm -hmm. in a way, I do. Like, I don't want, you know, all the Carolina fans rooting against us the whole time, but um, I don't know. It's just, I know... It's weird to me to have an ACC tournament anywhere than <clears throat> Greensboro, but you know, it is what it is now with the conference expansion. And I, I know Jim Beheim hates coming to, to Greensboro, so good, good for him to get to stay in New York. But
1: yeah, I guess that's one, that's one factor in Syracuse's advantage. Um, they'd be really close to home, but have their fans checked out on the season? Yes, probably. Yeah, and has, has sure. Beheim? He's won one ACC tournament game, right? I think he beat so. Carolina it it. a couple of years ago, 2020, I believe. Yeah, um, and that was his first win. Yeah. So not been a wow, good. Wow, I didn't ever. even realize that. That's yeah. awful. Yeah. Ooh,
3: yeah. Wow. That's crazy, right? Like he's only won one ACC, but he's went to the Final Four like two times since they've been. They go on some like fluke run anytime yeah. they make the NCAA tournament. Like then they go as an 11 a couple years ago? <laughs>
0: Yeah. Well, they, they, of course he went over there and gifted Roy a title, by going sure. to the, yeah, a title yeah, game yeah. by going to the final four. It's a 11 seed. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's the ACC tournament has lost its luster for me, which really sucks because obviously if you're from North Carolina or around here, we all know the wheel, of the TV in to the, you know, elementary school. Oh yeah. Um, I mm-hmm. used to, I used to really know a lot of the players for wake and state and, and I just don't, anymore i don't watch if duke's not playing i don't really watch college basketball like i used to um the product is just not as, as good and there's just so much turnover everywhere um obviously we're more sensitive to it at duke because we're on the extreme side but it's not a duke problem it's a college basketball problem with all the turnover and how we're figuring that out um so it's lost that and the expansion you know like watching bc and pitt today and i
3: was like this is just awesome Awful basketball. This is terrible. What basketball. was it that Raul said to us? They could from- be in
0: my living room playing, and I still <laughs> wouldn't watch it. Like they could be playing in my living room and I'm still not watching that. And that's kind of how I feel. There's no uh there's no villains, you know. Like where I need like a Julius Hodge or like the uh um the guy for BC a while back, uh Dudley. Dudley yeah. like a yeah. I need another guy out there yeah. that I just hate, and there's just not
3: what was, was the hate. guy from Virginia Tech, Washington, the guy that yeah, dunked all the time, yes. yeah, yeah.
1: Did uh, yeah. did did Rice play for BC? Am like, Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He, I think Rice. he lit up Carolina a couple of times. That's oh, what every time, forty points every time yeah. he played them.
0: But oh, there's yeah. just not that out there. There's not the Alondes Williams. If he was a four year guy at Wake, he would be like that. But yeah. it's just not there. So it's you know it's lost a little bit of its luster. Um, but that said, I still want to win it. You know, it's at least some hardware for this year that you know to. To have for K's last year. We've historically done really well. I think the best, the biggest storyline is Duke Carolina Saturday night. Can we get the the rematch? Um, that's what I want because I think that could erase a little bit of the sting from losing senior night. Whereas if we play anyone else but Carolina and win, it's nice, it's great, but it's not quite the same kind of revenge. I want it to be Carolina. The problem is I don't think Carolina's getting there. But you know, I guess I'll toss that around. Who do you think, if Duke makes it to the finals on the bottom side of the bracket, who's your who's your pick to come out? I think Carolina Notre Dame are the two three that would play down there.
2: I I wonder if UVA makes it out of that part, yeah. Yeah. especially especially if you get a UVA uh, UNC uh, matchup. Like they don't play a ton of guys. It's going to be a slower game. Like that, that could be an interesting. You know, does it get down to the end? That 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 matchup, I'd be interested to see.
1: And I know. Didn't UNC kill UVA earlier in the year, or I- yeah,
2: early in the year they did.
1: Right when when UVA wasn't playing good, they they came along. You know, typically UVA has played Carolina really well, even when UNC's been good. Um, that slow pace has kind of given them fits, and that you know, patient execution style has just been you know, a kind of. I mean, it may be a little bit different now because um, Roy's not there. And, uh, but they're still playing at a fast pace. So you would still think it would have the effect.
2: UVA is the kind of team that could give them fits because they play that pack line style. And one of their defensive rules is they, they usually like nine times out of 10, when the ball goes into the post for a post entry, like they double hard and make that big kick it back out for ball reversal. And like, that would be an interesting kind of chess match to see like, how does Carolina, if that matchup happens, you know, how does Carolina counter that?
4: I think you got to look at Virginia Tech too. Yep, I I, th- I think they're they're a dark horse to to get to the final. Um, I think they can if they can get. I'm assuming they'll play Clemson. Um, I think they can beat Clemson, and I think they can definitely beat Miami. Uh, not Miami. I'm sorry, Notre Dame. Notre Dame. I'm yeah, sorry. yeah. 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 Um, yeah. yeah. But I, I definitely think they can beat Notre Dame, and if that's the case, um, you know we'll see. Like you say, I think. Carolina-Virginia is going to be interesting, too. So, assuming Virginia gets by Louisville if Louisville wins tonight.
0: Yeah, I was looking on that, too, to see try to see who's ahead. I like both of those. Um, I have Virginia and Virginia, because I think think they could play each other, too, which would be really interesting, like in the semis or something, which would be kind of a a crazy matchup. Virginia Tech-Virginia would replace Notre Dame-North Carolina. Yeah, that would be – uh, and I could see both of those. Notre Dame, to be a 2C, they've kind of fell off a little bit toward – they faltered down the stretch. Um, Virginia Tech's had great computer numbers, but um, – Merrill, go ahead, jump in.
1: No, I was just going to say I think Notre Dame's a bit – their record is a bit inflated. I felt mm-hmm. that all year. Um, they pulled out a lot of close games. So, you yeah, have I mean – and Duke won a couple of close games too, of course, but not to the extent that Notre Dame did. So, yeah, I can see them just kind of faltering in the tournament here. And just as an update, Louisville's up 25 on Georgia Tech.
0: Um,
3: so, uh, just a tidbit. I don't know if you guys recognize this And Knock on Wood, but um, we haven't lost an ACC tournament game since 2018, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, through that. Just saying. I mean, I'm just saying. Yeah. I um, haven't really
0: played one since then. But yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah. <laughs> nah, yeah. it feels like it, right? It
3: feels like it. I mean, um, I went Fun to the to NCAA tournament. To tournament the last couple years. To yeah. yeah. I mean, I, w- I, I was in Charlotte for the 2019 ACC tournament. I, I bought the, the book of tickets and went every day, um, you know, watched <laughs> us beat Carolina, watched us beat Florida State, the championship game. Uh, 2020, it was canceled altogether or before we even played a game. Yep. yep, And then last year would we beat Boston College and we Louisville. beat Louisville, Louisville and we got yeah.
0: COVID and we didn't get a chance to play Florida State. Florida
3: State. Yep. yep. So we had well, to not it. everybody got COVID.
4: Yeah. yeah. But anyway, yeah. Water sure. under the bridge. Yep.
0: Yeah. That's it's, you know, where it's one of those. But I think the storyline that I keep hearing is this like Duke Carolina thing, because Carolina's got the buzz. And that's why I, earlier when I asked, did Carolina beat us or did we lose to the moment? I'm not sh- I'm not ready to put Carolina as a team that I think can win three games in 3 days. I mean, I don't think they're much different than the team we've seen all year. It was a big moment for us. They came in playing loose. They have two quad one wins, right? And so I don't see them being able to beat three good teams in, in 3 days, but you know, maybe they will. I hope they do get to Saturday. I'll say well, that. I, mean, I hope they, they get there. Well, they they didn't lucky for them, they
3: need- there's not three good teams in the ACC. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but even <laughs> with even with that, they didn't beat they didn't beat Miami. They got blown out by Miami. They got blown out by Wake. They lost the We're the, the only Florida top five team
0: they beat in conference. Yes. That was the only win they had against any of the top five teams in the ACC was Saturday yeah. night. Yep. Let that sink in. Let that marinate. That's how <sighs> Yeah. Yeah. So, I think it was a little flukish on that. I, I wouldn't be surprised to see them go home pretty early. But, you know, I'm hoping – I'm pulling for them. I'm pulling for yeah. them. I want to see them Saturday. I, I want to just destroy them. Um, and I think that's what will happen. Too, if we see them again, I think we'll be ready
1: for them. But so, how does this tournament? Um, one question I've been thinking about is how does the tournament factor into Duke's seeding? Are we just locked into a two seed no matter what? Or, um, I mean, I know we can't get the one at this point. That's just out of reach. Uh, but could we fall to a three? Like if we lost the first game?
0: I think yes. so for sure. Right? Like yeah. that's a bad loss to Syracuse for Florida State
4: the narrative has been the acc is so bad the acc is so bad yet all the bracket people who are saying the acc is so bad we're going to penalize duke for every loss and not really reward him for any win that's all well and good except for the fact that they look at gonzaga and gonzaga loses to st mary's which is about the same as losing to carolina and they're not penalized and you know no one penalizes gonzaga for sleepwalking for through a bad conference. And I think the West coast conference has like two teams in the ACC is projected to have five, Mm -hmm. but the narrative is the ACC is horrible and yeah, it's down from where it's been, but you know, that being said, I mean, Duke's going to have to fight that. And so, yeah, you lose to Florida state uh, or Syracuse, or if you even lose in the semifinal, you know, it's going to be sweating to be the, the one of the best threes or one of the worst twos. Um, and really, you got to figure
3: out what you would rather have. I mean, if you're the worst two, you're going to go out west to Gonzaga. Yeah. I think so. Would you rather be the worst two playing in San Francisco or, or would you rather be a three seed playing in Philly against Auburn? You know, uh, with this team,
4: I, I don't know that it matters. I mean, I, I think it's more about, you know, matchups. I mean, you know, you look at the one seeds. I I would not have any qualms whatsoever about Duke being in Baylor's bracket. I yeah. mean, none. Um, you know, I, I I don't see any team ranked above Duke right now that Duke can't beat. Um, Kentucky would give them fits right now, um, but I, I think they can deal with Kentucky. I think they can definitely deal with Baylor. I don't think Gonzaga is that good of a matchup for them.
3: Um, for for Gonzaga, I mean. I just, I don't think they are Arizona is a team that I work. They're physical, they're big. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so
1: that's, that's what worries the the one team that probably worries me. Yeah. I just want to avoid um, any team with great pick and roll guards. I mean, we saw what RJ Davis, who's not even a great pick and roll guard did to us. Um, And I think it's been the story with Duke for a decade or so, right? Um, 2015 and 2010, Yes, those were great coaching jobs. Yes, the players rose to the occasion, but we also got fortunate with some matchups. We didn't really have any teams that were, you know, where their offense was centered around driving. Right. Yeah. West Virginia beat Kentucky in 2010, and then Wisconsin beat Kentucky in
4: 2015. You know, it's it's all about matchups.
2: Yep. It's a great point, Raul. I mean, we saw like what South Carolina did to them. I mean, they they had some guards that could penetrate absolutely. Yeah,
0: they get confident and they just can they can crush. Personally, I wouldn't mind if we're not going to be able to get if we could get the two in the East with a weak East seed. And I wouldn't want to play Villanova as the three two three playing them in Pittsburgh. I, I wouldn't mind avoiding that. I would like to get the two in the Midwest with Kansas because I think we could I think we could beat Kansas. I'm not worried about Kansas.
4: I think Duke would be fine against Villanova. They beat the crap out of them at the beginning of the season. I mean, it it was a it was a twenty point game in like fifteen minutes.
0: Oh yeah,
3: I forgot about that. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. Apollo had like thirty points, didn't he? I mean, that's yeah. I mean, and AJ didn't even play. I mean, that's
0: right. That's right. It's It's,
3: what Villanova doesn't have a a really big guys. They're more of a guard oriented team, right? Wings, yeah. yeah.
1: They're disciplined. They're they're a better version of Miami. Yeah, as as usual, it's like all guys between six feet and six nine. I believe you know. Yeah, they usually play a six nine center. Um, that's just what Jay Wright likes and he kind of spreads
2: it out. They actually their big guy uh, was a guy that Duke uh, looked at for a little bit. Johnny remember him was it Samuel the year that they picked him. Yeah, Jermaine
4: um, Samuel. and he's yeah. he's only like six seven, maybe yeah. six six. He's like he's, he was, a big,
2: he's a big for them.
4: He is, but he was like uh, it was him or Alex O'Connell. And I mean, I remember talking, you and I, I think we were talking about with Andrew Slater about it. Yep. And it was like Kay saw O'Connell and and liked him and it was like, yeah, but take Jermaine Samuels too. And they, they didn't even really look at him. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I remember there was a push to get Samuels looked at by Duke and they just never pursued it.
0: Yep. And you know, I've never really cared a whole lot about like every time the incident, maybe this is just kind of like the last decade uh, that's been traumatizing. Um, But John kind of hit on it earlier. I don't look at like, who's our one seed? Who's our, I'm like, who's our 15? Who's the seven ten, because Because if we can get out of that, that's the nightmare. That's the chaos of like, when all the upsets typically happen. Once you get to the second weekend, the good team talent rises to the crop more often than not. Um,
4: that's what I'm Zion most worried year. about. Yeah. Look at the Zion year. I mean, who was it? It wasn't for, I know they barely beat Virginia Tech, but no, it was Johnny it was, Dawkins'
0: team. It was for, me and she we were tackle. at that game. That shot looked like it was good. <laughs> that was the second-round game. Yeah. Yeah, yeah they weekend, made Johnny though, Dawkins'
4: weekend. kid look like he was Michael Jordan. Yeah. Yep. Oh, yeah. I mean, I it was know. like <laughs> – Yeah. Those are the ones I mean, that scare me. Yeah, me too. It's You're talking about pick-and-roll guards, and, you know, it's not going to be – they'll meet the, the good teams head-on, but I worry about, like – like you see, you know, a bunch of seniors and juniors who oh. may not have the talent, but are just so disciplined and so comfortable with who they are that they're not gonna get rattled. Yeah, And catch, do, catch do Murray a catch yeah, a Yeah, exactly. Catch a State Iowa. is your seven,
0: ten seed, and you could get beat first weekend and you know, they're they they've lost like three or four games. And that's the difference. Is I could have sworn like, you know, twenty years ago, you're playing a sixteen seed or a fifteen seed, and these teams are like five hundred, you know, they're like they might've like made a little hot streak in their conference tournament. Now, when I look at them, it's like, Oh cool. We're playing a 16 seed, but they're 28 and five. And it's like, dude, oh. like that's not the 16 seed that I want to play.
4: Yeah. There's a lot more talent this, these days. It's a lot more spread out. It's a different game too, because I mean, you know, you're talking about 20 years ago, you have a Duke starting juniors and seniors and juniors and seniors who can play, you know, because what, 20 years ago, Jason Williams is a, is a junior. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like that kid would have been one and done all day long
0: these days. Yep. And imagine how differently we would feel about him, right? He leaves after that 2000 season and you're just kind of like, oh, okay. And then after that, it's like, oh, this is what he is. And we don't get that anymore. You know, we don't get to see that.
4: And I think that's, a, that's a, that'll be an interesting topic for an off-season podcast of, you know, what if you know people always say, well, let's go, let's go back to getting four and five year guys or three and four year guys, sorry. And that just doesn't exist anymore. I mean, your, your three and four year guys are Joey Baker, Javin Delorier,
3: Josh Hairston, Tyler that Forden. kind of guy.
4: Yeah. Yeah. Tyler, I mean, the guys, guys who cool. get
3: roasted on the board when they have a bad game, you know, as underclassmen, and you're like, I, that's that drives me crazy. Um, sorry to jump in, John. No, no, no. It's, it's the right. It's, it's, I agree with you a thousand percent, but it's, you know,
4: if you started, if you started a, a roster of that, you know, Duke is Pittsburgh this year. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, they are. And it's, yep. you know, and you know, people, like I said, we can talk about the transition and what happened with the, you know, who the administration wanted and John coming in and all that kind of stuff. And, the different. I mean, because, you know, one thing that Tommy Amaker did say uh, from what I've heard was that, you know, he was going to go to the Virginia Villanova model, which is maybe a one and done here and there, but, you know, getting long term program guys. But Virginia has been pretty bad since winning a national title. I mean, they've been solid, but they haven't been where the, where the program's been. And,
0: you know, that's it's just it's a tough dynamic to and a tough line to walk. Yeah, you don't get that anymore because it's like, you know, the, well, we all want a Grant Hill, right? And the reality of it is, is we've gotten some Grant Hills. Wait, wait, we've gotten the new versions of Grant Hills. The problem is, is that they don't come in with the Bobby Hurley, with the Christian Leitner, with the Thomas Hill, with the Brian Davis. Right. Those guys aren't there anymore, right? It's just Grant Hill. So it would be like freshman Grant Hill in 91 and 94. You don't get that. The closest thing would have been Zion and RJ's year.
4: Yep. Um, I mean, and truly if Harry Giles had been healthy and if, um, yeah, if if Harry Giles would have been healthy, that class would have been really good. If Bagley and Carter and and really if Trayvon Duvall could shoot, that was a perfect team balance wise, but it's just so hard these days. And, you know, it's the other thing with the, with the transfer portal, you're not going to get three and four of your guys anyway. Right. Because yep. if they're unhappy, they're going to, I mean, Henry Coleman, I mean, you know, uh Jamin Brakefield. Brakefield. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, even what would you have done to have
3: Jordan Goldwire on this team this year? <laughs> we probably I mean, wouldn't seriously. have got pick and rolled to death Saturday night. You know, he at least Correct. would have stopped somebody. It's uh, just I mean,
0: impossible to build it like that. Right. It's just impossible to do. And, Cause just, It seems like we're just always that one piece away, right? Like yeah. 2018, mm-hmm. imagine if like Kennard just Trae has young. a pretty good 17 year and we get Kennard back in 18 and it's Kennard, Allen, Trent, Bagley, Carter. The defense would have been terrible. If the defense was terrible, but we went to zone and we could have worked that. Like that would have been well, ridiculous. What if, Gary, what, if, what if Gary Trent doesn't
4: go to be a second rounder, comes back
0: and is the first rounder the next year? Yeah. Yep.
4: I mean yep. – I mean, truthfully, I people bag on him. What if Duvall would have come back for a second year? I mean, that game he had against Kansas, and you know, if he would have if he was an old school throwback competitive kid and would have competed like those guys and gotten better that second year, I mean, he was comparable to at times to what you used to see in the early nineties at, at the guard spot. But I mean, him beside Trey Jones, that would have been fun. I mean, can't shoot, but <laughs>
0: But it would have been interesting, right? Like I would have much rather have seen a Duvall, Trey, RJ, Cam, Zion five out there just going bananas than exactly holding at the five and him and Zion just kind of like looking at each other like, dude, get out of the way. But
3: <laughs> So going back to what you said about you know the Virginia Villanova model, I don't think any of us really want to go there, but what I do want to see is get out of this this cycle of replenishing six guys every year. You know, I feel like we've been doing this for,
2: I think you, it's a, it's a, it's a fair point. And I think John recruited this class, his first class. I think he recruited that in, in mind. I mean, I think there's, there's a few guys that are potential, you know, consideration one and done, but I think. Oh yeah. 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 But I think he recruited some of those guys with the expectation and the hope you know, that they're going to be here for at least two years.
4: Well, I can tell you, they, they think Filipowski is going to stay two years. I mean, and that may be optimistic, but they truly think he staying stay in two years. And you can see that with the way they're recruiting the 2023
2: class. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of, a lot of wings in 2023. So if, if Filipowski comes back, he'd be a perfect compliment.
4: And then you give Mark Mitchell the starting gig at the four as a sophomore you know and then you get mckenzie at the 3 um i don't know what they're going to do at shooting guard yet but
1: you know i mean they got options yeah yeah i think it's just too hard to predict um you know i think eventually we're going to see even the novas and gonzagas maybe have to deal with this of how do you recruit talent that's going to stay but that is good enough to win yep. and you know, maybe it's just luck with some of these programs. Like Virginia was doing that successfully until a couple of years ago. And now they're suddenly not able to. I just don't think that's a viable model to say we're going to recruit players who we know will be great in college, but won't go early. I don't see how you predict that. Well, look at Gonzaga. I mean, Hunter Solis, uh, has he played this year?
4: Not really. I mean, oh, I forgot about him. He,
3: he was a tough He was 10. a kid. Yeah.
4: Yeah. Five star kid, but he's well. And then you have to ask the question nobody ever sees Gonzaga except for in March. You know, is that kind of the Roy Williams of, of college basketball where they can hide their, their five star guys for an extra year so that they will stick around a year? I mean, you put, but then you look at Duke, Frank Jackson, Gary Trent, um, you know, Duval. I mean, this year it's going to be Wendell Moore uh, and maybe, and, well, I mean, Trevor Keels and Wendell Moore both leaving, I think, but. I don't know that either one of them is a guaranteed first-round pick. And, you know, these are guys who you're going, what are you doing? You know, look at DJ Stewart. He's yeah, playing yeah. for the, the podunk fighters of the G League somewhere
3: and has no chance of ever making the league. I, I think that's the one thing. Like, I, I don't have a problem with I, I I loved having Jabaris and Zions and RJs. Don't get me wrong. It's those right. fringe guys. And we've talked about it, like, Stewart, Stanley maybe kills, you know, these guys that probably needed an extra year, but for whatever reason decided to take, you know, a second round jump. Um, Yeah.
2: And the thing to keep in mind with the second round discussion, like players see guys like Gary Trent, you know, who he went second round and he got to his big money deal quicker than mm -hmm. if he was a first round guy. And so I think you just have some guys like him and like, you know, many others who they're totally okay going in the second round because they know, I'm going to go into a good situation. I'm going to have a four-year deal starting out, but I'm also going to get. I'm going to get to my second contract quicker, especially if I could show out. And, and it's, it's a big it's, if, though. It's a yeah, yeah. But there's. I'm just saying, like there's guys that are willing to do it, like Trent's yeah. a great example. Oh, you know what I'm saying? Of course.
4: But look yeah. at. I mean, have you ever looked at the G League rosters? I mean, I was doing it the other day when I was working on something for the website, trying to find like you know a G League update for former Blue Devils. And like I'm looking at some of these rosters going, my God, this is like every high school All-American I remember, every college All-American. I mean, Ryan Kelly's barely getting played. I mean, you know, he's ACC's most improved player. I mean, you look at this and it's just, I mean, Vernon Carey can't Mm. get minutes in the NBA. Yeah, on a
0: team that desperately needed a big man.
4: (laughs) Yeah, it's crazy. It's just crazy. And I, I get the idea of, I get the idea of going and making money, but I mean, yeah, you know, the G League's making you know what, fifty grand a year,
3: and yeah, you know, the, it's a tough bet. and it's, it, and a, it's tough a tough bet. place for like an eighteen, nineteen year old, right? Because the G League's got twenty-seven year old guys that are still fighting to get in the like. The last time I looked at the yeah. G League roster, like I think CJ Leslie was still. This might have been two or three years ago, but I'm like, then this guy's still playing. I haven't heard of of him in years, but he's obviously still trying to make a roster, and he's. Got to be in his late twenties by now, like. Yeah. So,
2: <sighs> I think, and and the other thing that we haven't talked about with this is the health component of it, and, and that's relative to players' age when they go. Because I don't know if you guys this was a while ago, but I think it was, I think it was Baxter Holmes for ESPN. He did kind of a deep dive uh, article where he talked about the cumulative effect of players playing earlier in AAU, the sheer volume mm-hmm. of games they play even before they get to college. And a lot of these guys, by the time they get to the pros, like Holmes had, you know, NBA trainers and and doctors quoted that these guys are like ticking time bombs with their bodies by the time they get to the NBA. So I think if you're in your mind, if you have people around you who think you're our meal ticket, like the push is there to get you to the league as quick as possible to try to get to that second contract as quick as possible, because guys know their bodies are going to break down eventually. Well, look at how many have come to Duke
4: and needed corrective surgery or cleanup surgeries or, I mean, it's, it, it, it's a whole fat. I mean, we could do a, a whole series on this in the off season.
0: Yeah, that's his whole, yeah, it's a whole, there's so many variables to all of it. Um, you know, and I think just to, to get us to back on track, I guess, um, you know, <laughs> hopefully Duke, Duke does something good in Brooklyn, right? That's the whole point of it. Now that we've soured you on the program and everybody that we've had coming through it, you know, let's go back to winning. Um, <laughs> hopefully we have it. We start game one of nine. Uh, yeah, Game one of nine Thursday, and we can really finish strong. Um, Absolutely. I think K deserves that, you know, and I'm hoping that he's at his best, that he's able to put this behind him. He's probably the number one in the game of next play. And so I have pretty good confidence that we're going to be prepared. We're going to show up um, and hopefully we can do something special for him uh, for that. But before we do get out of here, I did want to shout out Mark for getting ACC defensive player of the year. AJ Palo and kills were all freshmen Wendell also made the defensive team. And then Paolo also made the uh, freshman of the year. Did I miss anybody? That's all of it. Right. I think so. Think so. I think that's it. Okay. Uh, yeah. Um. So, you know, that's, That's nice to have. Obviously, we talked about it on the last pod about Coach of the Year, and we lost that on Saturday. That kind of stung a little bit, but you know, we can always we can go get the big one, and that's what matters at Duke anyway, right? So that's still in play. Um, So we'll we'll touch base, I guess, probably again after the ACC tournament, and just kind of process some of that. Hopefully, we're celebrating uh, with, with the championship, and then we'll talk a little bit about seeding the NCAA tournament in the meantime, you know, you can find us on the boards at the devilsden.com shout out to Matt Duke again for doing the ACC tournament uh, thread. That's always, that's always a big, everyone likes that thread. So yeah, you know, I always look forward to doing that. And he does a lot of work over there with that stuff. Um, anything you want to plug John, Steve coming up or that we're working on anything news wise on the site.
4: I mean, we're, you know, we'll, we'll break into recruiting, We're wrapping up a uh, 2022 with the transfer portal or, Maybe maybe a reclass here or there, depending on what happens in 2023. But uh once the season's over, John Nolan and Carwell are gonna get out and really start hitting the uh hitting the trail. And Nike uh playing ball will hopefully get some covers this year as far as access goes. Um, yeah. um but yeah, other than that, I mean it's I think the next big topic in the offseason will be who's gonna be the next assistant coach
0: um is it going to be a meal or will they go somebody else that will be interesting um well in the meantime enjoy the acc tournament uh you know tune in thursday and uh, hopefully we have a little bit of a stronger face and a hell of a lot more verve in brooklyn than we did in cameron and uh we can at least cut down some nets